Before I get started with this episode, I did just want to give a brief trigger warning. There's um, a mention of sexual assault. Um, It's very brief, but if you skip over the 44-minute to the 46-minute mark, um, you'll still know what's going on, and you'll avoid that if that's not a healthy thing for you to hear right now. Now on to the episode. I'm Bronwyn Beth, and welcome back to The Misfit Musician, the podcast where music and mental health meet. Hello, my friends. I hope you are all doing well. Thank you for being patient. Um, I know my release schedule has been a little funky the last couple weeks, and I've missed some weeks, Um, but this is a really busy performance time for me, and I'm also in the last part of my meditation instructor certification, so just have a lot going on over here, Um, but I think about this all the time, and I'm trying to keep finding awesome people to talk to and get more content out to you. Um, And yeah, just thanks for bearing with me. And I'm hoping that once my certification is done, I'm able to offer you some things in the meditation and mindfulness side of things um, through this platform or through my website or something. I'm still figuring it out. Um, But I'm really excited to kind of expand what's happening here a little bit. Yeah, so let's just get into the episode. This week I spoke with Marin Montalbano. She is wonderful. Um, She shares her story about finding her voice and kind of reclaiming it. Um, She's a mezzo-soprano and a life coach, so she has a lot to offer in the way of music and mental health. And I think you guys will just really enjoy the conversation. She was an absolute joy to talk to, and I'm so excited to share this with you. So, Marin, welcome to The Misfit Musician. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about the idea of reclaiming your voice, um, which is something that I feel like I have had it in the background a little bit, hearing hearing it around like that term. But recently I've started seeing something um, like more posts about it. And I just think it's a really interesting topic. And you are mezzo-soprano and a coach for musicians in particular. And so I feel like you can really speak to this really well. Um, And you have quite an extensive bio in both areas. I thought maybe you could just introduce yourself a little bit. Sure. Thank you so much. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to to really dig into this. Um, So I am a mezzo-soprano in the Philadelphia area. Uh, I have, um, my voice is on three Grammy award-winning albums. Uh, I'm very proud of that. And also maybe we can talk about this later. There's, there's a little bit of a journey there too, which, which involves me figuring out what my voice is and, and not believing in myself. And, and, um, it, and I, I think it's, it's a good one to share. Um, I uh, grew up in a musical family. I uh, started by playing the violin, actually, uh, when I was three, uh, took Suzuki. Um, and when I was uh, 13, I, I quit violin because it was too, there was like too much pressure around it. There was, I was definitely like being put on the fast track for like virtuoso stuff. Um, and uh, and I started singing. And I really, um, I, I just really fell in love with it. And I felt like that was something that, you know, I, I've always, 
I have always known that music was going to be a part of my life. And if it wasn't going to be through the violin, um, the voice just, it just worked for me. Um, I went to New England Conservatory and Tufts University. And then after that, um, I I just got a bachelor's degree. I actually got two bachelor's degrees as part of their uh, five-year double degree program. And um, and then I just started gigging. And uh, I've been gigging ever since. Um, and really now, uh, I it's been several decades. I'm 47 years old. Um, and I uh, have turned... Um, my attention, not only to the performance aspect of my career, but how I can help other musicians um, reach new heights in their careers as well. So that's, that's me in a nutshell. (laughs) I love that. That yeah, no, that's a great introduction. Um, I definitely want to talk about uh, your journey to kind of, you know, finding your own voice. Um, But voice can mean a lot of different things to people, especially when we're talking about this idea of reclaiming it. Um, So I was thinking, you know, it can be like your right to speak up and have an opinion. Um, It can be having confidence, whether you're singing or speaking. Um, It could be like your internal voice or internal dialogue that you have. So just to start, what, when you think of voice or like finding your voice, what does that kind of like mean to you? So that's such an interesting question because I actually get, a lot of times I get people coming to me and asking, how can I sing like you? Um, And, or, or how can I sound like you? And that's the wrong question to ask. Nobody's going to be ever going to be able to sound like me because I'm the only person who sounds like me. Not only is it just, you know, because of my personality or anything like that, but also your instrument is your body. And, you know, it's, it's not like, okay, I could hand you my violin and, you know, you, the sound that you would play on those strings would sound very similar, you know, um, I can't hand you my vocal tract, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, so everybody, each person who's learning how to sing, they have to, yeah, they can learn certain things about technique that's common among everybody, but then they also have to really understand what their body is doing and how that affects the voice. And, and it's not just your physical part, but like also your emotions affect your voice as well. Um, So how you're feeling in the moment is going to um, make your performance, you know, give it more nuance or, or it might hold you back um, depending on what's going on between your ears, Mm. (laughs) you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, um, so my, my boyfriend is a singer and we've talked about this a little bit because as an instrumentalist, there's aspects of what you're saying that I totally can relate to, but there's something that I've had to try to understand just from talking to him about just how personal your voice is. And as even the feedback you get in a lesson or something as a vocalist can hit you differently Mm -hmm. than feedback as an instrumentalist, because it's literally like (laughs) how your body is made and how it's working. Yeah. yeah. And if you think about it, like, okay, so if you're feeling sad and you want to cry, what's the first thing that happens in your body? Your throat starts closing up, you know, and like, that is the mechanism that you're, that you need to use to sing. So how do you, how do you project emotion without, um, creating without, without like having that part close up so much, you really have to understand like where these emotions are living in your body and how to use them as tools. And uh, instead of, um, as, uh, you know, barriers to, to get, get what you're trying to achieve, right? Mm. Sometimes it's good to have that like little catch in your throat um, to just give the performance something, you know, more authentic. And also, um, if you're really trying to like achieve some sort of perfect line or something like that, you need to know 
how do I relax myself? How do I get into like just the zone? <laughs> like just yeah. do it without like, you know, having uh, being overcome with emotion. So like all that is going back to, you know, how do you find your own voice? Every single person has to find it for themselves because they're the only people who really know what that experience is. Hmm. That's so true. And let's jump back to the emotion thing for a second. So um, how can we embody and respect our emotions while using our voice? Like whether you're singing or speaking, like are there ways that you um, coach people to navigate that? Because I feel like that can be a challenging yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's 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 really challenging. And, and um, so... I'll give an example, um, and maybe this will help. Uh, I, a few months ago, I did a performance. Um, I sing with a group called The Crossing, which is a new music group in Philadelphia. And um, we were doing a, a world premiere of this piece that was that really involved a lot of like, um, gosh, it was about um, Alzheimer's. And, um, and so, uh, there was some very like heartfelt emotional things about the, um, the piece. And I had a solo in it and, um, the very beginning of the solo was actually really hard because it came out of nowhere. There's like this really big crescendo. And then just my voice coming out of nowhere, um, in a different key and, um, <laughs> and like, in, right, exactly. And in like, uh, kind of, um, a part of my voice that is, uh, you know, pretty, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's called the passaggio. So it's, it's like the, like that break in your voice. So if, if you're, um, as, as an advanced singer, like I know how to negotiate the passaggio without getting a lot of like, ooh, ooh, you know, sort of sound. But if I'm not careful, I will get some of that sound. So I have to be really careful about it. So I started overthinking it. I, you know, when we were in rehearsal, I kept screwing up the the key change part, you know, so I was getting in my head about that. And then once I knew that I got the key change, it was fine. Then I was like, well, I, I can't get my voice to make the sound that I want it to sound like what's going on. And I was going through this like inner dialogue of, um, I, I was, I was really kind of like, uh, whipping myself, you know, like get it right, get it right. You know, um, which, surprisingly did not work very well. <laughs> I can't believe that didn't work for you. I know, right? Um, it just, all it did was it just made me feel worse and worse. And it was this spiral. So I, because I'm a coach, I was able to notice my thoughts pretty quickly. Um, and I think this has been for me, a journey, you know, if this was me 10 years ago, I wouldn't have realized that those were the thoughts that were going in my, going through my mind. I would just know, I can't, I can't make the sound I want to make what's going on, you know? Um, but to be able to notice the thoughts was really key. So when I, when I practiced it, I practiced, I decided, okay, what, what is happening? Like, here are my thoughts. I'm worried about, you know, these different things, like these technical things. All right, fine. Let me try without anything else. Let me try just like negotiating the technical things. All right. So I did that in my practice. And then I'm like, okay, but there's also something else going on, which is the emotions of this particular mind. You know, this, the woman that I was, I was basically a character in the, in the, um, work who's this like old woman who has Alzheimer's and she doesn't know what's going on. And, um, and so she, she herself was confused and scared and, and you could tell in the music that she was confused and scared. So I was reacting to that for sure with my own like level of emotion, which is totally good. Like that's how you're supposed to do it. Right. Um, so what I did was I was like, okay, well, what's happening in my body? I like, I, did like a sort of a body scan. Where am I feeling this? How is this showing up? You know? Um, and I was like, well, what do I, what if I just lean into that feeling? Like what, 
how would that work? So I tried it in the comfort of my own home without anybody else listening, you know, um, I tried it and all of a sudden I was like, Oh, like that was what my body wanted. It just relaxed into it. And I was able to like be consistent with the notes that I wanted to be consistent with. Um, so I wrote in big, huge letters on my score. If the sadness comes lean into it, you know, and I did, and I'm getting choked up now while I'm talking about this. Yeah, no, you're good. <laughs> All right. Um, and in the performance, in the first performance, uh, I nailed it. I nailed it. It was like, it was perfection. It was so good that the conductor just like started beaming at me. And I, and of course, at that point I was like, don't look at me, stop looking at me like that. You know, Yeah. <laughs> but, but, um, but it was like, cause he knew that it had been a struggle for me too, you know? So, um, I was really proud of myself and, um, and now I have, I know, okay. When this stuff is happening, all I have to do is slow down, like really, really slow down and figure out what are the thoughts that are going on in my head, like, and take note of those things. And then from the thoughts, what are the feelings, the sensations that are happening in my body because of those thoughts and how can they help me rather than hinder me? Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, that's, that sounds like such an emotional topic to have to sing about. I don't know how you did that. (laughs) But I think uh, all of that can be put into um, even like using your voice when you aren't singing. Like I think that's all so relatable and like such good advice for ways to kind of just like slow down and actually feel what you're feeling. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that you're right. It's not necessarily like you don't have to be a singer to slow down and feel what you're feeling. And you can listen to your own voice speaking, right. You know, and if, if it's hard for you to listen to it while it's happening, you can record yourself and then like, listen back. But um, there are different like tonal things that happen with us, especially when, um, we're nervous or something's out of, out of alignment or something like that. And, um, and those are clues. They're not anything that's bad. It's just like a clue for you to, um, check in with yourself and see what needs to be, um, realigned. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. thinking about, like, I just got my car, uh, uh, take, I took my car into the service and they realigned my tires, you know? So I'm like, yeah. well, you know, that, that sort of feeling of like putting everything in place so that you're not wobbly. Um, so some, some examples um, might be that waver in your voice, right? Like when you're saying something and you're not sure either, either you're not sure that it's the truth, right? Um, then your voice kind of takes on a s- strange quality, uh, or you might yeah. start to stutter, like just uh, like what I just tried to do. I was like, this is this is strange, you know? <laughs> um, um, because what's happening is your conscious self and your unconscious self are kind of at war with each other, um, and when they're working together, your voice is going to naturally come out. There's nothing you have to do at all. Um, But here's another one, vocal fry. Um, I don't know if you've heard about vocal fry, but like (laughs) when you you do like, especially when you do podcasting and stuff like that, people talk about vocal vocal fry as a stuff that everybody's talking about here, you know? But actually some people have vocal fry at the ends of their sentences um, when they run out of breath because they haven't taken the time to just take a deep breath and like reset their system. Um, so that's, yeah, just a little little tidbit right there. (laughs) Fascinating. Yeah. Um, there's like a true crime podcast I've listened to or like they both have vocal fry and they talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I love the idea of 
what you're talking about, like with alignment and bringing everything together. Um, I was actually just talking about like this in therapy this morning and the idea of when we have negative emotions or anxiety or something, we think like, oh, this is bad. I can't, you know, be present and be feeling this or whatever. But it's the idea that all of these emotions are all part of us and it's good to have all parts of us present. And so just recognizing it and being like, oh, hi, (laughs) like I see you there today. And now I embrace that as part of what my experience is right now and move forward with that understanding. Yeah. That's been a part of my journey as well, especially, um, you know, finding my own voice. And, and I have to say the, the more I embrace my emotions, the, the, the deeper and richer and more, um, and more consistent and more effective my own voice becomes not just my singing voice, but my speaking voice as well. Um, but I noticed it more and more in my, in my singing voice, because I'm paying attention to that more. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, but I agree, you know, um, for so long, I have been, um, you know, conditioned to uh, suppress my emotions. Like when I was a kid, my dad would always say like, well, if you're going to cry and, you know, or, or be mad, go into your room and shut the door and do that there. Right. Mm-hmm. So I really wasn't allowed to like have a negative emotion around other people. Um, and while I understand also I'm a recovering people pleaser. So like if somebody tells me I shouldn't be mad or sad, then I won't be mad or sad. <laughs> yeah. I relate um, to that. <laughs> yeah, right? um, but unfortunately that, you know, you can't, you can't just like stuff that down somewhere and, and expect it not to show up somewhere else. Um, so it is better to just say like, Oh, I'm sad today. Like, that's okay. I can be sad today. You know, I can, I can still go about my day and be sad. I can show up to rehearsal and be sad. I can, um, you know, and, and it just means that I'm not going to be, maybe I'm, I won't engage as much with people, but like, also that's fine. That's really okay. And by honoring that I'm making room for the, kaleidoscope of human experience, Mm. you know? So I, I, I feel like it's, it's in fact, I'm, I'm not, um, if I don't show that I'm sad sometimes, then I'm shutting part of myself off from the world and the world needs to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then other people, you're helping other people be able to feel their emotions too. Exactly. Exactly. That was, you know, I I was at a rehearsal. Oh gosh, this was a few months ago, but it was this kind of the same thing. It was like, I, that morning I woke up and I'm like, oh, I am definitely not happy today. And I'm just, I think it's just going to be one of those days. Like I'm, you know, like a five out of 10 and, um, and that's, that's fine. Like I can, go about my day. It's totally fine. And, um, and I, you know, got to rehearsal and somebody was like, how you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm great. I'm just not, I'm just kind of sad. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. And I'm like, that's fine. I'm just going to be sad today. And, and like, just by saying that it, was, it just sort of allowed for that to happen. And the, the other person was like, oh, okay, well, yeah. All right. You can be sad today. Like, it wasn't like a, are you okay? Can I help you out of it? Like, no, like some, sometimes the best thing you can do is just hold space for that. Yeah. Just being where you are unapologetically. Yeah. That's great. Well, maybe we can jump into a little bit of your journey to how you got where you are today. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So, um, huh, uh, the, the journey that I want to talk a little bit about with, um, especially the, the Grammy wins, um, is one of not believing, not believing in myself. And so the first Grammy award, um, the album that I am on that won a Grammy award is a, 
uh, album called On the Transmigration of Souls. Um, it was right after 9-11 and um, it's a John Adams piece. It was a um, recording of a live performance by the New York Philharmonic and I was in the choir there. So you can't tell that like my voice is on that felt on that on that CD, but it's fine. It yeah. still won a Grammy. Like still it still counts. counts. <laughs> <laughs> and then the um, the second one that won a Grammy um, is a piece. It's an album called uh, "The Fifth Century" by Gavin Bryars um, with the Crossing, and that album came out a very at a very strange time. I'm not singing on half of that album. Um, that year, the, one of the founders of The Crossing died. It was like a huge amount of grief that all of us, I mean, he died right in front of me. Like there were, the, yeah, there was a small group of us that were at a rehearsal in LA and he had a heart attack and just died. And wow. um, and it was traumatic, like understandably. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and um and so we were all going through a, a huge amount of, of grief, grief and, and, you know, just, just trying to heal from that. Um, so the album itself is, I, I personally don't think it's our best work, but you won a Grammy somehow. And I, and I'm very grateful for it because by winning that Grammy, I think it, it, it gave the entire group hope where we, when we need it it the most um so I don't know if that may be just like d- divine providence I, I have no idea mm-hmm. um but the um we've done a lot more recording since then and we've like every single year since then we've we've gotten nominated um but then we um won a Grammy the following year for an album called Zealot Canticles um which I have a solo in, like I have actually have a really big solo in that. And that during that time when we were recording that, I was, I was really starting to focus on myself as a soloist before then I really wasn't thinking about myself as a soloist. And I didn't really think that I had, I don't know. Like, I think I, I didn't, I didn't think I was worthy. I think that's a lot of it. Um, like, Sure, I could do a couple of solos here and there, but like by the time I, you know, decided that I wanted to do any kind of solos, uh, you know, vocal solos, my I had gotten too old for the opera world, mm. and um, and so it just sort of seemed like, well, I guess this is this is it. Like I've I've reached my limit, you know, and it was it was with that album that I realized like, I actually do have something to give to the world. Like I have, I have a voice. I have something like, I have something that nobody else can do um, that, that, that is valuable. And I, I, I want to bring it to the world more. Um, And I, and I want to do it in a solo capacity. I, I, I know I have this for choir and that's great. um, But doing it as a soloist is different. And um, and so it was recording that work made me really think about it a lot more. And then we won the Grammy and I'm like, oh my God, my, like a, my, a big solo of mine is like on a Grammy winning album. Like yeah. I could win a Grammy. Like I could have a solo album that could win a Grammy. Like now it was like actually like a possibility. <laughs> it wasn't a possibility before that. Um, so I guess like, all of that by saying it's just been a, it's been a process and it's been mostly just a process of believing in myself. And and it took three Grammys for me to realize that maybe I had something to say. (laughs) So if if you don't have any Grammys, like, don't worry. But I'm sure there's, you know, yeah. there's a lot more like internal work that went into that process of believing in yourself. Because yeah. there's, you could get Grammys or whatever is your uh, version or belief of success and still not feel adequate. So exactly, yeah. exactly. You don't have to get a Grammy to believe in yourself and you don't have to believe in yourself in order to get a Grammy 
either one. Like, it's just that I, I think that, um, I mean, it's all inner work, right? There are so many people who think that success is all of the awards, all of the money, you know, all of the fame. I have come to learn that success is that feeling you get when you just like nailed that section because you've been working on it for so long and you figured it out, you know, and like it's success is that, you know, when you make that connection with the audience and they're feeling what you're feeling and it's like this whole thing like that to me, that's success. So I don't need to have, you know, the Grammys, the Grammys would be, are nice. I'm not like, trust me, they're nice, but, but yeah. I, don't, yeah. I don't need that for success from, for, for me to have those feelings. Hmm. And that's a great level of growth to achieve. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm very proud of myself, but see, and that's, yeah. that's really what I, because I achieved that growth, I'm turning around now and looking at the people who are, who are on that journey and going, I can help those people because I know exactly where they've been. I can absolutely help them get to this point and beyond um, because wouldn't it be so amazing if we had an entire society where musicians really were like living their true like lives and being their authentic selves and giving every single ounce of their artistic ability into the world, like how much good would that create? I think it would be amazing. It would be so amazing. And the the level of art and like collaboration that would come out of that would be miraculous. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, so why don't we talk a little bit about using your voice to kind of gain back power or become more embodied and like physical things that you can do to practice that. And I was thinking about, um, I mean, I've had to actually podcasting has made me think about my voice a little bit more because um, I'm going back and listening to it. And there's been different points in my life where, you know, I'd like walk into Wawa and I'd be at the checkout line and the woman would just say, you have the softest voice of anyone I have ever heard. <laughs> and during the pandemic, like anytime I had my mask on, like no one can hear me because um, mm -hmm. I was just speaking too quietly. And mm -hmm. um, I think that's something that I think especially women can relate to or used to kind of like being more internal, keeping our voice down because it's something that we're sort of taught that we should be doing. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think this idea of kind of coming into your voice and using your voice to create power um, is really important. My aunt was in a um, self-defense class. And one of the things that they had to learn was to say no in a mm -hmm. really like powerful way, kind of like from the bottom of your feet all the way up through mm -hmm. your mouth. And she actually used it one time because she lived in Germantown and she like came across a really like traumatic scenario. And she mm -hmm. used her voice in that way and it completely changed the situation because no one was expecting this sound. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think just like the power of your voice when you can kind of come into it and own it and claim it is amazing. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. You know, so learning how to be an opera singer, you really, that's one of the things you do is like, you have to have a big sound. You have to learn how to have a big sound. And, you know, opera has all of these like very, you know, dramatic moments and often, uh, especially for mezzos, I think, because the mezzos uh, are often, um, either uh like the the either the boys or they are the um like bad the bad people <laughs> you have so some like, fun parts <laughs> right right which is a riches right <laughs> um and um and so they're uh they have more of the kind of like i i think maybe it's because of the range um but like there's more of that like lower you know kind of big sound that you can tap into and I think that that's, that's the sound that 
um, you know, can command a room. Um, there's a really good book called Cues by Vanessa Van Edwards um, that talks about all the different kinds of cues that we um, give each other, social cues, um, body language, uh, vocal cues, that kind of thing, um, and how to use them for, you know, to help you get success. Mm -hmm. um, and she talks a lot about, she talks about vocal fry and she talks about how when you speak lower, people respond more like lower in your range. Now that doesn't, that doesn't mean you should speak all the way down to the bottom of your voice. Cause nobody's going to hear that. <laughs> right. But like, but like the, the lower part of your range that's comfortable will give you more, um, uh, strength, like will give whatever you're saying more strength and weight. Um, so you can try that. You can actually practice, you know, like just figure out where your, you can even have like a piano right next to you, you know, and just figure out what note your voice, um, likes to rest at, and then just try speaking like four or five lines on that note, you know, and, um, and, and in fact, try to maybe try to like sing it a little bit, like turn it into a line, because I think part of, part of what embodied speaking is about is really coming into your body and feeling all of the ways that your body is communicating. So that starts with the breath. And, um, and I'll talk about that in a second, because that's very, very important, but it starts at the breath. And then it, it, it is supported by all the muscles, like your, your diaphragm and like all of them, actually all of like your abdominal muscles and stuff like that help too, and your pelvic floor, all of that, like helps support the air to come out of your mouth. And when you are relaxed and you know, like you are, um, like what we were saying, aligned between your conscious and your unconscious, um, your throat muscles will relax. And then all that air has to do is come right out and, um, and it will have the full force of whatever you are meaning to come out. Um, so, um, I love that idea of like, rooting yourself and like having the, the energy come straight down from, from your, from your feet all the way out, because that's, that's essentially what is happening. Um, but the first, the first part is that you have to take a good inhale and, um, for your listeners and for you, um, yeah. I, although I'm sure your boyfriend has probably taught you a little bit about this, but, um, uh, when you breathe, through your nose, it's, it's a little bit easier to take a, a deeper breath than through your mouth, but you can do it both ways. And, um, and most people, when they breathe, they really only breathe like with the upper half of their lungs and they're then very, very shallow breaths. And that's one of the reasons why you don't have a lot of, like when you have a lot of, um, quiet sounds, you don't, it doesn't need a lot of breath. Mm -hmm. but, but in order to have a larger sound, you do need to have a lot more air. And so you need to, um, fill up your lungs. It, your lungs actually expand to, off to the side and in the back. So you can like, as you take a nice big breath, feel like your, your whole rib cage is expanding like a balloon. Mm -hmm. And then, and then when you, um, speak, it's like, you've got uh, sort of like your pushing an accordion in and, and you can sort of control that sound or that, that air through your mouth, um, which is pushing it out that way. Um, so that's, that's it at its like most fundamental level. Hmm. And, you know, but then the other half of it is intention. So it's, it's about like really like practicing saying no and meaning it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That, that idea of the breath kind of ballooning out, that's something I've done a lot of in meditation work, but not, I don't think about that when I'm speaking. I think mm -hmm. about it more of like a grounding thing, but that makes so much yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all connected, right? Like it is a, it's, it's a grounding activity when you're breathing in, you know? And so, so you're already grounding yourself, plant two feet on the straight on the floor and then you you know, can go and like, you can command a room with that. 
Yeah, and it it makes what you're saying more powerful because you're coming from a place of like, no, this is what I know, this is what I believe, like this is my truth. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. I love that. Yeah. Um. So, thinking of meditation, um, this I think. Uh, there's lots of ways that we can kind of use our voice for healing. Um, and we can do that for ourselves, I think, um, through like if you're using mantras or something or even prayer, like whatever you call that kind of space for yourself where you're kind of connecting with spirit. Um, and you can also use your voice to heal others. And I think, you know, as a performer, um, like I think of violin as my voice in some ways, but you can your physical voice can be used to like connect with people um performing or not performing even just you know like meeting a friend where they're at yeah yeah, yeah. well you know one of the interesting things is that when well uh, sorry i was going to take to say two different things at the same time i'll i'll, I'll, I'll break them up into two things okay. um number one <laughs> um you know, the violin is the closest thing to the voice, like um, uh, in wavelength, um, you know, of, of all of the uh, instruments. And so um, when you hear a violin, it, it, it really does feel a little bit like hearing singing and your voice, your, your body responds that way as well. Um, and when you're talking about like talking to a friend, you can kind of adopt their sound a little bit to establish rapport. We do this unconsciously, you know? Um, and, and I think that what happens when somebody sings is the people who are listening, their bodies react, like their bodies vibrate in the same level, right? And so that's one of the reasons why you can feel those emotions so viscerally. Um, because when somebody is singing that stuff to you, it's like, it's not just the, the sound waves that are coming out of their mouths. It's, it's their whole being vibrating and coming mm. towards you. you That's know? fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, it's interesting that um, I, I find music of all kinds to be healing in various different ways. You know, um, when you're talking about meditation. I think about like sound baths, which I really love. Yeah. Um, but I, I also think that when we create our own music, our own art, we can heal ourselves as well. It's a, um, so I'll tell you another story. Uh, I, during the pandemic, I wrote a one woman show um, called the bodice ripper project. And, um, I had actually started planning it before the pandemic happened. And I really wanted it to be like a real show on a stage and everything like that. But then pandemic happened and I had already, um, like signed up to be a part of the fringe festival. So, um, and they went full digital. So I was like, okay, well, this is going to be digital and I'll figure it out. Um, and the premise of the show was originally going to be, um, I had written these um, very, very silly romance novel vignettes backstage at the opera for years for like each opera that we did. So like each, every opera had its own little little romance novel that I would like read backstage and they were all based on whatever opera we were in, you I know, love that. <laughs> it was always like, you know, basically the background characters are having like an affair. Okay. <laughs> it was great. And, um, everybody loved them. You know, people would ask, Oh, what's this, what's the story this time? That kind of thing. Um, and so I decided to write, I was like, well, I'll just write one as if I'm backstage at the opera. Um, so I started writing one, you know, like pretending that there was a, you know, this new opera, whatever, maybe I, I based it in Philadelphia in the, you know, turn of the century. And, um, and as I was writing, I realized that there was more to this show. There was more to the, the reason why I wanted to write these stories was it harkened back to a time when I really just like 
absolutely would devour these romance novels when I was a, like a teenager. And it was always like one after another, I couldn't get enough of them. They were the best. And they, I still think they're the best, but like there was something about that time period. Um, it was really important to me. So I started like uncovering that, those layers. Hmm. Um, and I realized that, uh, so when I was 12, my, my mother's boyfriend, um, molested me and, uh, and that was, I mean, again, traumatic, Absolutely. you may want to, yeah. you might, you might need to have a trigger warning on this. I'm sorry. No, um, you're good. I'm sorry that you experienced <laughs> that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, me too, but it made me who I am. And, um, and the really interesting thing was I realized that I was reading these books to remind myself that there was something else out there, that there actually was love, you know, that there was romance, that there was, there was sex that was, um, uh, not, uh, you know, that, that actually was, was healthy and, and, and like where people actually loved each other. Mm. And, um, and I, I really clung to that because I wanted to believe that so much. And I, I'm, I'm glad it was a, it was a protective mechanism for me, you know? And, um, I, I, I got past, I mean, I went to therapy and all, all of the things, right? Like I'm, I'm okay. (laughs) Um, Everything's fine. Um, but by, by writing about this and making a show about it and like really bringing it out and, and creating a space for me to talk about it with an audience to witness it was incredibly powerful. Um, and then I, I actually wrote a little song, like I, I wrote the lyrics to a song about that time, about what happened. And um, a friend of mine, um, Melissa Dunphy, she wrote this, the music uh, to it and I sang it. And uh, as a part of the Fringe Festival, they were very kind uh, and allowed us to use their space to video record stuff. And so I had created a video of me singing all the songs in the show. And this was one of them. And it was, um, I think we did three takes in each one. I got like more and more into what the actual meat of it was with the anger of what had happened to me and, and the confusion and everything. Um, and I had a director and my director was really wonderful and she was very kind and like, you know, said, okay, like, can you do another one? Like can you just like, it, she was, it was, it was a really supportive environment. Hmm. So finally, the final take, I did it. And there was something about feeling those feelings, remembering those things, and like really being allowing all of that to come right up to the surface and singing the words, singing those things was incredibly magical. And when it was over, my director came to me and said, how do you feel? And I was like, I feel empowered Hmm. and something inside me felt complete. And I, I can't. And, and I feel like, I hope that other people can create things like that for themselves so that they can heal those wounds that, that need to be healed, you know, that are coming to the surface and that are ready to be healed. So, um, yeah, that's another reason why I became a coach was so that I could help that, that transformation to happen. Yeah. That's so incredibly powerful. Yeah. And you had, you had something on your website about your passion for making sure that there's a platform for marginalized voices. And I think that this, this is an example of why that's so important to you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it kind of started off with like me being like, there aren't enough women composers out there, you know, but, but like it's, it's turned into something where I'm like realizing there are way too many gatekeepers. And frankly, right now, uh, the paradigm is shifting 
And these gatekeepers are becoming irrelevant. Hmm. And I really believe that the more um, different, independent, diverse voices we can get out, out into the world and give them uh, a spot, shine a spotlight on them, give them a platform, the better the world will be. I really, truly believe that. So whatever I can do to help that happen, I will do it. You know, whether it's like commissioning works, singing those works or, or just working with people who, who need a leg up, you know? Yeah. No, that's, that's incredible. That's really wonderful. Um, so for anyone who is not a singer or maybe even not an instrumentalist who is listening to this, um, I, I think the idea that like our voices allow us to communicate with each other and connect is so important. Um, and I think that we've lost that a little bit. Like I think in the past in human existence, um, <laughs> like using our voices in uh, some kind of musical way for communication has been uh, more just maybe more acceptable or done more. And I think there's this idea, and I think sometimes they maybe even more in the musical community. Like I, growing up, I mean, I used to like print out lyrics to songs. I loved um, Sound of Music. I had like all the lyrics printed out and I would like hide them under my bed and wait till like no one was home. And then I would sing them. So it was like, <laughs> because I, you know, I was getting like, violin training and piano training, but like I didn't have vocal training, so I couldn't, you know, I, people shouldn't hear me. Um, so kind of learning, like, how do you, uh, how do you, what are your thoughts on learning to just kind of like put that aside and be like, this is my voice. I'm going to sing if people don't like it, that's fine. And there's still like an opportunity for me to use my voice and express my voice without um, you know, a, like a lot of training or any training at all vocally. Totally. Totally. Okay. This is what I think. I, I, I love this question. This is so great. Um, the, the best advice I can give is a question. So ask yourself, what is the part about my voice that I love the most? Hmm. Um, because I hear a lot of people say like, oh, you don't want to hear me sing. And like, oh, I only sing in the shower or in the car or whatever. And I say like, great, sing in the shower, sing in the car, like do it, you know, because you're doing it for your own pleasure anyway, right? Mm -hmm. You know, um, anything that you do, you should be doing for your own pleasure. You should be doing because you want to not because somebody says it's good or it's bad. It's, this is a, all a part of our social conditioning, right? Like we, mm -hmm. you know, we grow, we grow up and we're taught like to do it this way and not that way. And like, oh, this person is such a terrible singer. Like how could they possibly, you know, get on stage or whatever. Um, uh, and, and, and I, I think that that's, uh, while uh, it may have come from a good place, um, is actually detrimental because what it does is it shuts people off from, from exploring that thing about themselves that they love. Hmm. So if you, you know, if you're like, oh, I don't really have an ear or like, maybe my voice doesn't sound that great, whatever. I would challenge you. What do you love about your voice? It could be anything. I love the fact that my voice is, you know, quiet and soft and, and, um, and, and, and feels like a warm hug, or I like, I like the fact that my voice, I can command a room. If I say no, right. <laughs> people will stop and they will not do anything, <laughs> you know, any, any of those things are like, I like the fact that <laughs> if you're a smoker or something like that, like, I love the fact that I've got a raspy voice. It's really sexy, you know, or whatever. Um, find, find that thing that you love and lean into that because that's, what's going to help bring out that special uniqueness that is you, that you should be using in everyday life. And mm. 
yeah, and which will make the world a better place, which is really my whole uh, thesis here on this podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, I could talk to you for forever. This has been amazing. Is there anything else in this um, kind of conversation or topic that you really want to talk about before we end things? Oh, gosh. Um, no, I mean, just thank you so much for letting me come on and talk about this because it is something I love to talk about. Um, and and I really do encourage you and everybody else to take a look at or take a listen to yourself, um, just how you speak and find one thing that you love about that, about your voice. I, I yeah. think that, you know, um, that if, if there's any takeaway, it should be that one. And, um, and thank you so much for having me on. Of course. Yeah. And I, I love that advice. I'm definitely thinking about that already. Good. <laughs> um, and do you have anything exciting coming up? I am. I'm, I'm um, performing a world premiere of a book. Uh, sorry, it's called One Book Called Ulysses. And it's um, by Lansing McCloskey. It will be um, performed on May 22nd. I don't know if this is going to come out by then. Um, it but should, it's yeah. With, Okay, great. Um, At uh, the Settlement Music School in Philadelphia with the Network for New Music. I'm super excited about this because I've been working on this piece for uh, about six months and it is, it's so hard and it's so rewarding and it's all the things that I, when I you know, took that step into, I want to be a soloist. This is a culmination of all of those like thoughts that I started thinking back then. Amazing. That's wonderful. And if people want to find out more about that or just get in touch with you, um, how can they do that? Great. Um, you can find me on Instagram. That's where I spend most of my time. Um, at Supermarin, S-U-P-E-R-M-A-R-E-N. Um, I also have a website, marinmontalbano.com, um, which I'm going to spell very quickly right now, but go for it. Hopefully, okay. okay. M-A-R-E-N-M-O-N-T-A-L-B-A-N-O.com. Okay. And I'll link, <laughs> I'll link that below as well. So easy access. <laughs> good, good, yeah. good. Um, so find me either of those places. I'm also very easily Googleable. So yeah. Wonderful. Well, Marin, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Thank you. This has been great. my friends. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Um, Marin was wonderful and I'm so grateful to her for coming on the podcast. So let's get into the self-care tip for this week. The self-care tip for this week is to take some time away from your phone and from technology or screens. Um, this is something that I've been thinking a lot about recently, and I think pretty much everyone knows at this point that the more time you spend on your phone, the less happy you tend to be, the harder it is to go to sleep at night, you're going to have more anxiety, but the challenge is actually doing it. Um, especially now coming out of the pandemic, so much of our lives have transitioned to being online and they're still online in a different capacity than they used to be. So my self-care tip is just to pick a goal for yourself this week to take time away from your phone. So that could be as simple as putting your phone on do not disturb for like 15 minutes or 30 minutes, whatever you feel like is doable for you. Or if you are able to, you could try, you know, an entire half day or full day with your phone off and away and just experiment with it. See what it feels like. See what you notice. See if you have a different experience of your day. Um, I know it'll probably feel really weird at first 
Um, but I think you'll be surprised how much more of the day you feel like you're experiencing and noticing and enjoying. Um, I'm definitely going to do this this week. I don't know if I can do a full day because I have performances every day, but I'm at least going to do a half day. So if you're going to do it and want to connect and let me know how it went for you, feel free to reach out at the Misfit Musician Instagram page or you can um, email me. My email is in the show notes below and I'd love to hear from you. I also just want to say thank you. Um, I've gotten, I think, two reviews on my podcast, on Apple Podcasts, and they was just really sweet, and I really appreciate those of you who reviewed me taking the time out of your day to do that. It makes a really big difference, and I love just knowing that this podcast is helping people. That's all I have for today, my friends. I hope that you have an absolutely beautiful week and remember that you are magic. Live in love.